Welcome to What's Wrong With Wolfie. And welcome to What's Wrong with Wolfie, a retro podcast dedicated to the pop culture of the 80s, 90s, and zeros. My name is Jason. And I'm Rich. I'm Chris. And I'm Steve. And I'm Scott. And as you just heard there, we are joined by a very special guest, a person who used to own a video rental store, had an illustrious career as a bouncer in Philadelphia, and starred as Dookie in a series of Budweiser commercials that ran from 1999, which became a pop culture phenomenon all over the world. And there is only one way we can greet Mr. Scott Martin Brooks, and that is just for all of us to say, What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? That's the British ad. Boo, what's up? What is it? Sorry. Boo, Steve. Boo. You're correct. You're correct to boo me. That's fine. It's a tea in that. Well, as you. What is going on? Yeah. <laughs> what's all this about then? What's all this then? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good, Scott. Well, what, Impressive. They did it. Thank, I told you, Monty Python. I grew up with them. But um, <laughs> what was the the international one that they did? It was how's about ye? Is that a, uh, is that Irish or Scottish? How's about ye? How's about ye? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's like okay. a British. Uh, I mean, Scottish yeah. or Irish, yeah, because they were wearing um, uh, jersey, um, what we call soccer, which you guys call football jerseys. Hmm. Yeah, I do not know. I don't know if it aired. I don't. I don't know if it aired over there, but they did this this one where they, the international version of of what's up, where all these different countries had their version of what's up. You know, konnichiwa. Oh uh, yes. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. 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 Hazabuti and all that. Yeah. <laughs> It's not quite got the same ring to it, really, does it? No. No, but it was funny. (laughs) That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Um, Scott, thank you you so much for taking some time out of your day to come and talk to us Retrobates. Uh, We we really appreciate it, mate. Retrobates are my favourite kind of people. Thanks for... uh, (laughs) Phew! Thanks for asking me. (laughs) But I mean, if anyone's listening that's still a little bit puzzled on who you are, can can you enlighten them a little bit? I dropped out of college after my first year. Remember, kids? Um, and <laughs> I asked uh, my best friend and I asked my uh, asked our families to borrow some money, and we opened up a video store. And I did that for four years instead of college. And I was the general manager, the buyer. The, I did everything: advertising, all of it. You know, ran the store. And then after the store closed. Um, I started bouncing because I just needed a job. And <laughs> so I add in the paper and I answered it and I ended up getting the job. So I started, did they call it bouncing over there? Yeah. 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 yeah for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I started bouncing in nightclubs and bars in uh, downtown Philadelphia. And that turned into like a 10 year career. And that's what I was doing when the audition for the Budweiser commercial came up. So my best friend growing up, he became a director and he was doing music videos. Quite, a, quite, a, you probably saw a few of them on MTV and such back then. 
he wanted to branch out into feature film. So he made this short film. And when he started making it, he called me and told me, he's like, yo, it's based on that thing we used to do when we were teenagers. Because that was a thing that we used to do. It just kind of evolved into that from us saying hello to each other. He did this short film. His manager at the time entered it into film festivals. Uh, so an executive from, what was it called? DDB Chicago, which is an advertising agency that happened to have Anheuser-Busch as one of their clients. An exec from DDB saw the short film and little light bulb went off over his head. And he, I actually happened to be over at Chuck's apartment in New York, in Brooklyn, on the day when Anheuser-Busch called him. And they wanted to make a deal to turn his short film into a commercial. Like, I remember he took the call. He came back in the next room. He's like, yo, that was Budweiser. You want to turn the short <laughs> into a commercial? I was like, are you going to do it? He went, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so he made a deal to, you know, use the concept, but then also hire Chuck as the director of the commercial, which was fantastic. They were holding auditions. Now, I wasn't an actor. I had never done anything. Some plays when I was a kid and a teenager locally, and that was it. And, you know, some stuff playing around with Charles when he was, because uh, he went to film school and all that stuff. But I'd never done anything professionally. So he called me and said, yo, I need you to come up for an audition this Thursday. I hopped on the train, went up to New York City, auditioned, uh, got what they call a callback, uh, got a callback. And at the end of the day, I think they auditioned 250 actors to try and cast the commercial. And um, like one of the executives said, it was really hard to find somebody to do such a simple thing correctly. Like I've seen some of the audition tapes and it's hilarious, the interpretation <laughs> that some people had of doing this thing. So uh, after the callbacks, I found out that all of us, the friends from Philadelphia, the originals who were in the short film ended up getting the commercial. Amazing. So everybody you see in the commercial were actually friends in Philly. We all grew up together, you know, and Chuck cast everybody in the short film. And then they ended up just putting them in the commercial. And then everything exploded from there. That's, that's really cool that you made, because I didn't know that, that you that, that you were all mates. You, you all kind of knew each other. And I guess that really helped with uh, the chemistry on, on, on the in the adverts, I guess, on set. And I guess that probably helped the adverts completely just come across to the audience in a much better way. You would think so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, I find the idea of, of any of you not being cast in that kind of, like, that's kind of galling, right? Like, it's, I'm, so, I'm surprised <laughs> to hear that there were auditions, but it's delightful that it, that it worked out the way it did mm. and that actually it was the original people doing it anyway because, like, you know... That was you guys, right? Fred had a great line where he's like, "Did you did you see audition? You want me to audition to play myself?" Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. But uh, Anheuser Busch's original idea was to have a multicultural cast to appeal to as many people as possible, and okay. But then after we got in the room, they they saw us and scrapped that whole idea. Was yeah. there anyone in the audition who was worse at doing it than I was at the beginning of this podcast? Oh, well, worse than you? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> there were absolutely some bizarre ones, yes. Yes. I think they go into an audition process and they just kind of overthink it 
and then they over egg it and then it just comes off incredibly awkward and unnatural yeah. and just forced yeah yeah so i'm not surprised i but... mean it's it's totally understandable that you know you just read these words on the paper and you don't know that it had a specific you know way of being said and so you're just reading what's up on the mm. paper mm-hmm. <laughs> And so as an actor, you interpret that the way you interpret it, you know, and everybody's trying to be different and funny and catchy and all that stuff. So, but yeah, it does make for a very entertaining audition tapes. It's it's like you said earlier, when you've got a few mates who have known each other since childhood, doing an advert about mates who have known each other since childhood, hanging out, it sells it better than that awkward, forced, like, atmosphere. You're just literally hanging out. You just happen to have a script on your lap. Right. (laughs) This is no, and it was it was quite formative because if I remember rightly, I we were in our last year at school. Rich. We were. I even remember watching them on the on the internet. Like it was high school. Late, yes. Yeah. yeah. I think we we had a late period, and we used to. This is going to sound extremely nerdy. We used to stay for an extra hour, hour and a half playing Counter Strike, <laughs> and your adverts went viral around our school within a day. Yeah, <laughs> and it was like, "What is this?" And we're like, "Oh my god!" And then it went everywhere. Pre, and then the next thing we knew, pre YouTube, watching a QuickTime player. Yeah, you know, it's just yeah, a good old quick days. QuickTime player. I have to download the raw video. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh no, yeah. that's interesting. Okay. Go to a website and you know find the QuickTime embedded or download it and. So you had to work and, for it. Oh yeah, of, yeah, yeah. And I just want to you say that, that effect on you know, us, you know. <laughs> your 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 <laughs> your advert made five minutes of scary movie actually palpable. <laughs> wow! wow. <laughs> I we were in a limo in Los Angeles, going from one thing to another. I don't remember what it was when our manager got the call from a Keenan Ivory Wayans asking <laughs> if it was okay Jeez. to do that bit. And we were like, what? Yeah, please do, do it. <laughs> <laughs> was she happy with the now, outcome? Yeah, no, it's, a, well, I'm happy with it because people love it. You know, they, you, if you watch that clip on YouTube now and you read the comments, there's people of a certain age who don't even realize it came from the commercial. They think it originated. So they loved it in scary movie, not even realizing it came from somewhere else. They just thought it was a funny little aside that the Wayans came up with, which I think Mm. is hilarious, you know, but it, but it shows the strength of the, of the bit. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. When the mask changes to having yeah. his tongue out, yeah. it's pretty good. It's yeah. pretty good. Do you mind? Yeah. If you don't, can we just like back up slightly, Scott? If you don't mind, you said that you dropped out of college to open a video rental store. I feel like that was like you just sort of said that I, real casually, like it's something people do all the time. Like, how did that come about? Like, I never said that. Did you not say that? No, I'm kidding. Am I, um, <laughs> is there a gas leak in my room? Did I imagine that? What's going on? <laughs> What's your question? That long drive, Steve. What's your question? Steve! (laughs) (laughs) How did the idea of opening a video rental store come about, Scott? I don't know. So Mm -hmm. I hated school. And my best friend, he dropped out of school also. So I guess he hated school too. And we were sitting around in his house watching TV. And he came to me and he said, listen, my boss 
is liquidating one of his stores because he worked for this guy who had like three stores. He said, he's liquidating one of his stores and he wants to know if I want to take over the lease. I'm like, okay. He said, let's think of a business to put in there. And we literally sat there for maybe five minutes just saying businesses, laundromat, um, <laughs> dry cleaner. Uh, <laughs> and then just like, nah. And then I think it was him that said video, video store. And we both went, huh? Because we both loved movies, mm-hmm. you know. So it was literally just us shouting out words until one of them <laughs> stuck with both of us. And then studying and finding out how to open a video store. And I got lucky. I found this company out in the suburbs who had these packages where they would do it all for you. You know, however much mm-hmm. money you had, they would put together a package of films for you that a cross section of everything, horror, comedy, adventure, and then do like a little three day seminar on how, cause the business was still relatively new back then. And so they gave a little seminar and here's how you open a video store. And so we just did everything they told us to do and open the store. And we, we're in an area that was something of a um, video store desert. There, mm. we were. There was nothing for a couple of miles, so we had a captive audience. Awesome. You know, we got lucky. We got lucky in a lot of ways. Nice. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, you got lucky, but you did put the hard work into shouting out random things for five minutes. Which, you know, <laughs> yeah. That's so credit. Credit is due there as well. Was it good? Did you have a good time? Did you enjoy that? Like, how did that work out? I genuinely loved it. I ge- and I, I don't know. I still would have been doing something like that, but um, now I got this on 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 good. What's the phrase? Authority. I can't remember it right now, but. I got this. What's that? There's good authority, or on good authority. Thank you, thank you. you go. I got this on good authority. I'm I'm not awake yet. And <laughs> that so there were two major video chains in Philadelphia at the time, and my girlfriend at the time worked for one, and one of my movie distributors at the time started working with the other one. So he came to me. And because I was, I used to buy a lot of stuff from this guy. And he's like, listen, I got to be honest with you. I put some money into a new video store that's going to be opening up pretty soon. And we're going to open one block away from you. And it was a major chain. It was going to crush us. And then my girlfriend let me know that my boss is going to open up a video store half a block down the street from you in the other direction from the other one. So we were about to get crushed, but because of that insider information, we were able to close up and liquidate and get out of there before we lost any money. Mm -hmm. So otherwise, you know, I I think we would just kept going. That's as good an ending as you could have had, I suppose, really. You were forewarned forewarned of the pincer movement that you were about to be in. (laughs) Absolutely. We'd already paid back our loans. Everything was profit at that point. You know, we weren't getting rich, but we were making a living. You know, it it was it was comfortable. It was it was cool. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Were they block were they blockbusters? Is that what they opened up around the corner? No. Oh, okay. It was uh, one was called West Coast Video. Oh, uh, I'd heard of it, yeah. And the other one was called, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know if uh, West Coast or the other one. I think the other one was just regional. Um, what was they called? I can't remember them anymore. It was a regional chain started in the area. 
um, but they were much bigger than us. So, so that, cool. that's how I decided to open up a business. <laughs> how, <laughs> On a how whim. Ask, like, um, what was the buzz running and working in a video rental store? Because you see it in films and TV, and they they put that lovely sheen on it and working a video store was one of my dream jobs as a kid but as we graduated from high school broadband internet had come in dvds had come in by the time we got old enough we didn't have any they all started to shut down what was what was that feeling in the atmosphere of working in that store being able to just be in that environment that's an interesting question so when we had our store i don't know how to put this delicately we were in a disadvantaged inner city neighborhood. So there wasn't a lot up there. Mm. And like I said, we were the only game in town as far as that stuff was concerned. So we became like a little community hub. Mm. Yeah. We had everybody coming to our store. We had, you know, blue collar working parents and we had quite a few drug dealers that were <laughs> members of our store too. So it it ran the entire the entire gambit and like we had we had customers that were so cool with us and so comfortable with us that they would walk in, walk behind the counter, pick out the movies that they wanted, you know, and just give us the money and leave. And we're like, all right, well, see see you in two days, you know. And it, and it was it was fine, you know, because we had developed that kind of, you know, um, rapport mm -hmm. with them, that kind of relationship with them. We had this one dude that I didn't know what he did for the longest, but he would come in and rent like four movies and then disappear for months. And then he would come in with the movies and a wad of cash and pay the late fees. And wow. can I get four more? And we were like, yeah, sure. So one day I asked him, I was like, what, what do you do that you, he's like, oh, I'm a DEA agent and I go off on missions. He had a, wow. yeah, he, he talked <laughs> about, he, he talked about a injury that he had where he couldn't lift his arm up above here because he had gotten shot in the shoulder in a firefight in a poppy field in South America. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I too would so, like some escapism every now and then. If that was my life, right, right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell this guy, no, you can't have any movies. <laughs> we had a drug dealer return. So wait, it wasn't even him. This beautiful Puerto Rican girl comes walking in the store one day, and she puts like four movies down on the counter because we very rarely let anybody take that many movies. She's like, "How much is this?" And I looked it up and I saw who it was from. And I told her, I said, where's he been? She went, oh, um, he had to go away. He said, but he Ooh. called me and he told me, make sure the boys get their movies back and pay the late <laughs> fees. And I was like, <laughs> like that's lovely. Boy, <laughs> like you can rent free movies from now on <laughs> yeah. after you get out. Yeah. Like, that, that speaks so much about how much there was a community aspect. The fact that. Someone's going through something oh, life changing so like that, but you're still on their checklist yeah. for things to be done before. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's <laughs> incredible. It's, it's, that's incredible. It's, it's quite humanizing because you just you you think those people are kind of like creepy monsters, but no, they're just normal oh, guys. No. Just with a, it's just a normal. normal they have thing. an unusual way of making an income. That's all. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, it it was it was a really really good experience and you know and i'm it's different for us because we were owners 
So we're just splitting the profits. It's not like we were a couple of kids working for minimum wage, mm. you know. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't a slog for us like, I got to go to work today. You know, we were the owners and we were the, 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 the managers and everything. So it was a lot more fun for us than, you know, just some kid working in a video store. Mm. Did, did you ever get the DEA agent come in at the same time as the drug dealer to both rent? <laughs> 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 they they no, they're both on the same like video that. as well. So there's only one copy yeah. of that. Awesome. No, I never <laughs> happened. How funny is that? <laughs> that did happen in the nightclubs a lot, though. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah. What was your um? What was your biggest rental while you had the store open? You mean single movie or category? Uh, single movie. I have no idea. I have no idea. But the biggest category was horror, sci-fi, and cool. and adult mm-hmm. was second. <laughs> <laughs> wow, adult was second. Ah. Adult was second. One of my um, adult film distributors, because you don't get those movies from the same place that you get your Hollywood movies from. (laughs) (laughs) One of my adult distributors told me, he's like, I tell people from other video stores to come look at your adult section because you have curated one of the finest adult sections (laughs) in all of Philadelphia. Like, thank you very much. I'm very proud. <laughs> Did you have it in a separate room behind the beaded curtain, or was it before you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. With yes. a red light on in yes. the corner. Yeah, we had a separate room with a red curtain. Yes, nice. <laughs> red velvet curtain. Well, it'll be classy, um, you know. So. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I didn't quality check them, but my partner did. As soon as he would get them in, he would take them home that night. I'm like, Roger, can we make some fucking money off of these things before you like, take them home and watch them? Oh, wow. I mean, I tell you what, okay. with uh, streaming services, we really have lost something special, I think. Yeah. In the video rental shop. Have you seen the documentary, The Last Blockbuster? No, no, mm-hmm. I haven't yet. No, no I haven't. No. If, if you haven't, look it up. It is a great documentary, and it gives you that whole flavor of you know what it was like to rent movies in the 80s yeah. and 90s and everything. Really good. Really good. Yeah, yeah. The Last Blockbuster. It's about the last Blockbuster video store in um, like Seattle or something like that. Thanks, I don't remember nice. the city. but oh, It's actually on ITVX over here. That's good. Okay. Okay. Is that James Bond behind you, Chris? What, personally? <laughs> In the flesh. Chris, um, watch out! Yes. Um, I've got quite a few on the wall. <laughs> I was just watching um, Tomorrow Never Dies earlier. Nice. Good choice. Big part of my childhood, those films. Absolutely. So it's, Absolutely. It's, like one, it's one of those series, along with like Star Trek and Star Wars, I can close my eyes and hit play. <laughs> Same here. Yeah, which one's tomorrow never dies? Is that the one with the the newspaper magnet guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Prince, yeah, Prince yeah. Philip. Prince Philip. <laughs> I feel like like obviously it's not newspapers these days. Like the medium has changed, but I feel like that's become more relevant. Though. Yeah, uh, information it's, it's control not, and so on. It's so not forth. dated that much, to be fair. Well, see, at the time, I thought it was kind of an allegory for um. You guys know William Randolph Hearst. I know the uh, name. But no, I know the name. He, yeah, he was a. Um, he was actually who Citizen Kane was based off of. Oh. He was a newspaper mogul in America in the um, like I guess like late 
1800s, early 1900s. And he was pretty famous for starting a war just so that he could, you know, send reporters out there to report on it and um, sell papers. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Which war? Was it the Spanish-American War? Gosh. One of the big ones. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Speaking of, um, we're on a bit of a tangent there, but um, sort of chilling out in nightclubs, what what found, how did you find your way into doing the Budweiser commercials? Like, how did that happen as organically <laughs> as possible? Like, did it just fall in your lap or did you have to seek it out and, or find it or search it or? Nope, fell in my lap because I happened to be Hi. best friends with the director. Yeah. Yeah, I was bouncing in the nightclubs, and he got the deal with Anheuser-Busch to direct the commercials, and he he put my name. So I don't know if – see, this stuff was all new to me. I don't know how much people know, and so I don't want to be redundant or boring or anything, but to be an actor in America, you have to have an agent, and that agent has to submit you for jobs, and then the casting person has to pick you. And then they notify your agent, okay, send him in for an audition. Now, this happens, you know, on a much larger scale. It's not just you. Um, you're in a room full of people that look just like you because, you know, they want a specific type. So without that, you don't get auditions, at least not for big union gigs. You can get like non-union stuff and small things and independent things and student films or whatever. But you're not going to get major motion picture, television projects without an agent you just you there's no way for you to submit yourself it can't happen so he put my name on the audition list and told me and so i had to come up. otherwise my name never would have been on that list because i had no agent i had no manager i had nothing at the time i wasn't connected to the business in any way other than through him so he put my name on the audition list. I, you know, I've never asked him, did he make up a phony uh, agent? Because you have to put <laughs> down the actor's name and what agency they're with and all that. So I've never asked him if he put down a phony agency and told me to come up on a certain day at that time and where the studio was and everything. And they just ended up liking me. Like, we knew pretty early because... Uh, one of the commercials was Girlfriend, where I'm sitting on the couch with my girlfriend, and mm. she's watching ice skating. After I auditioned, they brought me back in the room, and they kept me in the room for like 45 minutes, and they kept bringing in actresses and having them audition with me. We went through like 20 girls, and the guys are out in the, the other waiting room going, what is going on in there? Why do they keep bringing him women? Like... <laughs> <laughs> Why are they coming back out after a couple of minutes? You know, it's just like <laughs> <laughs> it's even worse. That's not a statement on um, you, Doris. I apologize wholeheartedly. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. That's one I haven't heard. Uh, <laughs> and me being like completely unknown to this whole business. I didn't understand what was going on or the significance of what was going on. They finally paired me up with this actress, Demika Hayes, and they said what they liked about it was that she was only 4'11", and I was about 260 pounds. So <laughs> they liked the dichotomy of our, our, our sizes. So that, that's, that's how that happened. They just, they liked, 
they like me for Dookie and they like the rest of the guys for the other roles. Obviously, you went from working in the video stores to bouncing. Obviously, you know, the commercials really blew up. They became the nearest thing we had to like viral in the late 90s, early 2000s. What changed in your life when you actually kind of earned yourself a bit of a star and you got some actual fame? Um, how did things change? What things came your way that wouldn't have come otherwise? Everything that happened after that, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I tried to stay I tried to stay grounded and stay mm. at work, but it was kind of impossible working as a doorman at a nightclub when you're like that famous. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when the commercial first aired, my phone started ringing and all these people were calling me like, Scott, this is dude on television who looks just like you in this commercial. <laughs> I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell anybody that I was doing it because I wanted to have as few people to explain to if like it all just blew up in my face, if it didn't happen, I didn't want to have to tell a bunch of people like, Oh, this is what happened. So nobody knew until it hit the air. And I was like, yeah, that's me. Like, no, it's not. (laughs) But the guy does look like you. (laughs) But yeah, after that, literally it just started a whirlwind of stuff i i hosted uh, ended up hosting a television show on abc for like a year and a half i got an agent um i couldn't go out for i tried going out for other commercials i lost a com- my agent told me at the time that i lost another campaign to mr t but i was this close <laughs> um <laughs> But the, the, they said that the, the, um, the client said, well, we don't want people watching our commercial thinking of Budweiser beer. So oh, they went with, um, yeah, they went with Mr. Mm. T. And I'm like, I'm not mad. I lost yeah, Mr. Yeah. T. Yeah, If you're going to yeah. lose yeah. a commercial to anyone, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> Mr. Yeah. T's pretty good. But yeah, just it was a whole entree into the business. It changed my career completely. Took me up significantly in my tax bracket. Um, <laughs> I was able to move into a much nicer place. And for a while, their work was just coming to me. Like, I, I barely had to audition for stuff. I was getting calls saying, hey, we'd like to see you for this. We'd like to see you for that or whatever. So it literally just overnight, everything everything changed and you, became what it was. You, you said that in the run-up to the commercial being ad, you told as few people as possible just in case, which is smart. Did, did you have a sense that it might not go right? Did, did you have a feeling that it might be a big success? Like, how did you feel about it before before they had neither i had no idea what to expect i was so unconnected to that business and that world like so i remember at the first audition hanging out with paul and fred afterwards and paul we we left together we were all going to catch a cab and go out and paul goes yo i know this chick she did a shoe commercial and she got like 20 G's for that joint. And we were like, oh, <laughs> like so, so excited <laughs> at the possibility of getting 20 G's, you know? <laughs> and, but like I said, I just figured I would do this commercial. It would be on the air. People would see it. And I'd be like, ha, ha, ha. and I just keep working. You know, I had no idea. None of us, none of us had any idea that it was going to blow up the way that it did. No, not at all. What, what was your reaction when it did? This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd watched... Over here, we had this show, VH1, um, Behind the Music. 
Every episode mm-hmm. is the downfall of some major rock star. <laughs> so I had that in the back of my head the entire time. <laughs> this is going to end, and it's going to end suddenly, and it's not going to be good. So <laughs> just enjoy. Let's it. Save your money. <laughs> let's <laughs> yeah, enjoy the ride, and you know, don't get too crazy. So that's that's kind of how I was thinking of it. But you you still managed to. Um... It was 12 commercials you did in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Over the course of three years, we did 12 spots. I think like three of them never aired because of, uh, well, Anheuser-Busch says they didn't air them because of 9-11 and people didn't want to laugh. So, and that was kind of the end of the campaign. Uh, 9-11 ended the campaign. And on that note. Uh, I know, right. We've all got exceptionally quiet now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that no, doesn't surprise me. I, I mean, I, I, I feel like I, I feel like that is the time you want to laugh, right? But I'm not an ad executive. I don't know. I, you know. Mm. Well, they came back in 2002 and they shot two or three more, and then that was that was it. Yeah, I forgot about those because it was a different director, different production company. Yeah, so our last ones were actually in 2002. My mistake. Through, throughout the twelve adverts, was there a particular one that you filmed that was like your personal favorite? Yeah, Pizza Guy, the one with Fred answering the doorbell constantly. Yeah. <laughs> that still makes me laugh whenever I. See it. <laughs> yeah, I love Pizza Guy, <laughs> especially Fred's last or like, <laughs> and the Pizza Guy. Bit of trivia. Since it's this kind of podcast, do you know who the pizza guy was in the commercial? Ooh. No. No. The actor who played pizza guy in the Budweiser commercials is Dr. Jonas Venture in the Venture Brothers. Ooh. No way. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I mean, he wasn't at the time, but then I started watching Venture Brothers and I love that show. Mm. What an amazing, brilliant show. And I'm seeing the credits and I went, Wait a second, that's James. <laughs> <laughs> Had no idea. <laughs> that's bonkers. Everybody starts somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, who was? What was the? Um, d- did you personally come up with the wasabi ad? So the story goes that Charles and the and the producer and a couple other folks went out to dinner one night after. Like during the first shoot, because we shot three, three commercials at the same time, the first time. Yeah. So we shot, or five, we shot five commercials the first time. So we shot over the course of a week. And one of those nights they went out to dinner and they all tell the story the same way. They're at the restaurant. The waiter comes over, puts it down on the table and goes, wasabi. And they all just looked at each other. It started laughing. <laughs> so it just kind of wrote itself <laughs> So yeah, that that's they all say the same thing that that's how that came about. <laughs> wow. And then that that commercial ran it was one of the big stadiums in New York City. I don't remember which one, Dodger Stadium or Yankee Stadium or whatever. They said it during the seventh inning stretch every game they would play wasabi and so all these new yorkers you know were, were would just yell it during the seventh inning stretch 
And whenever I'd be in New York, people like, hey. (laughs) (laughs) Go Mets or whoever it was. I don't know. And I had no idea what they were talking about because I'd never been to a game. Was it as fun as it looked to do all of those ads and be involved in all of that stuff? Yeah, because it was Chuck, Paul, and Fred. So yeah, yeah it was yeah. it was a it was a yeah. ball. Like he did all the stuff that we used to do when we were kids, making these little shorts that he used to make. And he would just have us doing all this ridiculous stuff. And you know, the first day I showed, so he had this. Charles had this thing that he liked to do when we were like in high school, when he would make short films, where whatever our action was or whatever the line was that we were saying, he would yell harder. And so then we would have to say it louder and harder. You know, it's like, I'm going to kill you harder. I'm going to kill you harder. (laughs) So (laughs) I showed up on set the first day and he's shooting one of the doorbell scenes where the guy's at the doorbell, you know, and he from, you know, his position as a director is going like, all right, harder. And I just started laughing and I blew the whole tape. Because <laughs> <laughs> it immediately transported me back. And he just looks over and sees me out there. And just nods like, yeah. Just, just sabotaging his own gig, you know, for funsies. <laughs> yeah. Harder. <laughs> Yeah, like, like we said, you know, it's um, it, it came across on off on the screen the chemistry you guys had between each yeah. of you. But are you, do you guys still hang out? We all live in different parts of the country now, but yeah, Paul, Fred, and I just got together recently. Well, we were together over the holidays, oh, that's nice. uh, so that's not that long ago. Yeah, Fred, he comes to town quite often. He lives out in Los Angeles now. He works for CBS. He comes to town. And whenever he comes to town, we get together. Paul lives not too far. So, yeah, I still talk to the guys all the time. Awesome. Actually. And do, do you have to refrain yourself from greeting each other with the WhatsApp? Or? No. No. Because <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't do that anymore. Uh, no, Jason. So we don't have to refrain from it. <laughs> He's a grown man. Come on, Jason. question. <laughs> Well, My I mean, we were grown. Me a man let's, child. Let's, let's, <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. We were all grown back then too. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> speaking speaking of the adverts, I've just had to double check myself. I wasn't like hallucinating, but there were so many copycat adverts that hit the internet on like ebombsworld.com or wow. Albino Black. Oh Sheep. wow, you remember them? Do you guys remember the video game version? No, I never saw that. There was a Nintendo. There was a Nintendo. What's up? I've just had to look it up to think. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And they had Duke Nukem playing Dukey. <laughs> Duke, jeez. And yes. I, I, I had to look it up because I thought I was going nuts. It's got Mario yes. and Pikachu and Duke Nukem and yes. just one of the random memories. I just had to wonder if anyone What's, had seen it or remembered it. I no, I do remember that now. I'm sorry when you said video game version. Um it's better than the Super Friends version where I'm Wonder Woman. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. Have you guys seen the one with the rabbis? No. Seems familiar. No. That's hilarious. <laughs> that is funny. It's all Jewish rabbis calling each other saying what's up. 
يعني شلون شلون Oh, look it up. It is hilarious. And it's like really well done. Like there's some, they put some money into that production, like for nothing. (laughs) It's not like it was for some product or whatever. It was just a parody video and it was really funny. Really, that and the grandmas. Yeah, there's one with a bunch of old ladies who who do it. Yeah. (laughs) Brilliant. And they... They actually have a bunch of old ladies doing it. <laughs> so. that's, that's amazing. Okay. Amazing. Again, it's kind of it's the whole reaction. It was very kind of ahead of its time, really. Now you think about these things that go viral and everyone's trying to spoof, parody, imitate it in an affectionate way. And this is obviously over 20 years ago. So it, it's quite cool to see that. And something that seems it's, so normal mm. now, that was quite unique and ahead of its time at the time. So... Yeah, you guys did a great job. You obviously We've brought a lot of people together, and <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's I'm most proud of that part. <laughs> We've often been called the first viral video of the new yeah. millennium. Mm. I can see that. I can. Was you were the Star yeah. Wars kid, one one or the other? You know, it's uh... <laughs> Star Wars. Who's talking? Who's talking right now? Because you just dropped out on my end. Uh, that, that was me. That was Rich. I was just saying it was either you or it was the Star Wars kid. That was the most uh, viral video at the time. Oh, yeah. Star Wars kid. <laughs> that poor, <laughs> poor man. <laughs> yeah, we can't make fun of him. He, he no. had a pretty sad, sad after I, story. I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure there's a happy ending for Star Wars kid. I'm fairly sure there was a make he, I guy, think he, right? there was no? a court case and... It was settled out of court, I believe, but I think he got a lot of damages awarded to him or Jeez, something like that. Okay. So, but they had it... to move and oh. yeah, and okay. if you bring it up to him, apparently he, you know, just starts quivering and shaking. I don't know about Jeez. that part. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. I guess I was choosing to believe there was a happy ending for Star Wars Kid. <laughs> I want, I want him to have a happy ending. I guess Steve wants the best. For Star <laughs> I do. Wars it's true. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Is Steve regretting typing his name? A Steve. little bit. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. I'm regretting bringing up the Star Wars kids. So. No, I appreciate the respect it's being given. Well, you made me sign that piece of paper that said I had to pronounce it that way. <laughs> that was between you and me, mate. Shush. Calling me out on in public like this. <laughs> Guys, do you have any more questions on the Budweiser adverts for Scott before we move on? Did, were you aware of how, because like pretty big over here as well were you aware of the international like reach that that thing had absolutely the what's up guys did a tour of uh the uk nice yeah wow yeah <laughs> got pictures next to um what are they called beef eaters oh yeah 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 i think it was only a, a day or two days in london but like did a tour of most english speaking uk is all of UK English speaking? Was that stupid? Well, it, it, no, it's, meant, it's not stupid. It's meant to be English, way, but it kind of... Uh, Wales from certain regions. <laughs> a lot of people spill, speak Welsh in Wales. Uh, a lot of people speak, mm. speak Celtic uh, in Ireland. But but English is, you know, that's the first okay. language, yeah. Right. But yeah, no, we were very, very aware that um, it was it was popular in other countries. That's one of the reasons why they, they did the commercial with the international version. You know, because they heard mm-hmm. about how popular it was in in over the ocean. So yeah, I yeah. was uh, I was in sixth form at the time, which is kind of like a pre college part of uh, education. And what'd you call it? 
sixth form. Uh, it's sort of like a post high school, pre college kind of space in education, and everybody, everybody at school is doing it all yeah. the time, constantly. Like it's difficult to overstate just how massive it was. Wow, that's yeah. cool. That's cool. Thank you. I still enjoy hearing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was better at doing it back back then myself as well. <laughs> the thing is that, like you said, like we were in me and Richard in sixth form at the time as well, and. At every house party that I went to, <laughs> it would break out and it would be like a Mexican wave through the house. And I've been to quite a few house parties at college, but the ones when I was at school and someone started wasping people down the stairs, you knew it was just going to chain reaction. Yeah, I should have come over there and, and started doing television over there at the time. <laughs> wish, yeah. I wish I'd thought of that. It proves something that the international versions I don't remember at all, but I remember the American original version. I'm, I'm glad we never got no, a British we, version. We, like, I'm glad they didn't decide I, to I don't, not air the US version. I don't ones. even know if we had one, but we all nah. know that when you try and replicate something, you can't capture lightning in a bottle twice. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Scott. They actually tried to do that over here, too. They brand, They they did... um two offshoot versions of the commercial and both of them i don't want to say they failed but they didn't catch on one was they called it the jersey guys and you know the show the sopranos Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it was a bunch of guys in a bar that were like sopranos types of characters without you know being too stereotypical and they were saying to each other how you doing how you doing how you doing how you doing and then there was one with yuppies what were they saying? Oh, what are you doing? And what are you doing? And so they tried to, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's probably that's about what the public did too. As well. <laughs> so, I mean, no offense to those guys. I actually thought the yuppies were pretty funny. Um, the guys that they hired to do it are comedians who I think they're much more prominent now than they were at the time. Um, you see them in television shows and stuff like that all the time now. But they were pretty funny. The 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 other guys, it's, so they just never caught on like ours did. But Anheuser Busch tried to branch off and do other characters, and it just it it didn't work. Kind of like a, a was up like extended universe, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> really were ahead of their time. Well, so. I'm gonna say I'll say something controversial, but they were catching a lot of flack for their flagship beer being represented by four black guys. Catching flack in what in what, in what sense? Like from who? In what direction? Lots of distributors and customers in the Midwest mm. and the South. Mm, okay. I had a couple of experiences myself with that, which I don't want to get into. But Of course. They were catching a lot of flack with that, which I think was the catalyst for them trying to spin off into these other mm. uh characters mm-hmm. trying to you know yeah yeah dang i mean you know it's a shame too after having the confidence to go with what they did and how successful it was it's kind of a yeah yeah it's sort of well, well here's, here's, the, here's the thing here's the thing that we it was originally intended to spearhead a new advertising campaign in the urban market that's all it was intended to do. Really? Um, because it's pretty well known that Budweiser isn't very popular in the black community. Mm. Like, it's just not a beer that, you know, black folks drink or mm-hmm. people of color drink. So 
this was intended to spearhead their their urban campaign. And Anheuser-Busch was caught completely off guard when it blew up as much as it did and became popular with, um, let's say, folks who go to hockey games, <laughs> you know? uh, folks who go to baseball games, mm-hmm. you know, and not just folks who watch the NFL and basketball, you know, so they didn't know what to do and they had really had to scramble to try and figure out what to do with the campaign. And it got away from them. It yeah. really did. It caught them by surprise and got away from them. that became as mainstream crossover popular as it did. And I heard this from Anheuser-Busch executives. Wow. So yeah, yeah. Pretty interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess, I guess is, is it, is it a, like is there a positive to take away from that where most people are like right on enough that they just liked the ad for what it was and that any sort of the flag... majority yeah mm. right like that's kind of how i might try yeah. and look at it in a more yeah. positive sense i guess yeah absolutely absolutely but you know there's always the vocal minority that people fortunately so yeah, yeah. yes but they weren't able to spin it off into anything else because they couldn't do anything better than the original and back. No. So. You're damn right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, before we uh, we move into your picks, I do have one final question for you. And um, do you actually like Budweiser? Never drank a Budweiser in my life. <laughs> good, good man. No, no, and I'm not being sar- yeah. I'm not being sarcastic. <laughs> I've I've never I've never drank but I've never drank I've never drank alcohol oh, okay. in my life. Wow! Cool. Oh, yeah. I don't drink, and I'm not a sports fan. So all of my my male friends are like, "What the f, man? You don't drink, you don't like sports, and now you're famous for both." And I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> They're like, "That's acting." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say that's that's the response. That's you just go acting, darling. Troll. Acting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, massive, massive troll. <laughs> gotcha. Taking all the things but, you um, like, and I'm gonna just do them myself and not actually care. I, so. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. Um, I was, we were getting like you know sitting in box suites at the Super Bowl and things like that, and they're like, oh. <laughs> but um, so one of the things that they they wanted us to do is so they would send us to the national convention every year and various other conventions around the country and make appearances that's actually what we spent most of our time doing and that's probably how we made the majority of our money was doing appearances uh for anheuser-busch uh budweiser like you know hey when you're out on the convention floor can you just have a bottle of budweiser in your hand right and i'm like yeah sure put coca-cola in it and I got this speech where it's like, no, it can't be Coca-Cola because you don't understand the, the, the Bush family. They will know the difference in color and consistency between Coca-Cola in the bottle and Budweiser in the bottle. And it will just be a big thing. And I said, all right, well, then I'm not holding anything. So I was like, you yeah, either give me a bottle with Coca-Cola, you know, because they wanted me to like take sips from it every now and then. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, no, mm-hmm. I don't drink. So I'm not doing that. So now you give me a, a, Bud by, a Budweiser bottle with Coke in it, like, 
we can't do that. And I said, mm, okay, well, then I'm not holding the bottle. <laughs> and you, like, you had the, like, you were in a position to just refuse to do that, and that was fine, right? Like, yeah. nice. <laughs> I like it. That's good. good. Yeah. I yeah. respect that. That's good. Is that what they put in your bottles on the, on the when filming the commercials then? No, those, those are real beers. But if you notice, we never drink. We never drink in any oh, of the yeah. commercials. They're just in the shot. Yeah. Huh. Now, during wasabi, they did switch up and put real wasabi on the plate one time and <laughs> didn't tell me. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> as a joke, they did a few takes where I had to, like, take a little wasabi and eat it. And <sighs> the real one was not very pleasant. Yikes. But <laughs> yeah. What not was the fake wasabi. wasabi made of? Um, what did they use? They used something like um, mashed potatoes and with food coloring or something oh, okay. like that. Well, that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, wasabi sucks. I'm with you on that one. Yeah, <laughs> I am not a spicy food guy. I can't eat no. spicy. Yeah. Oh, I can go a yeah. little. I can go a little high, but I think I'm in the minority here. Yeah. I yeah. love spicy foods. And you do not look like a spicy guy, Chris. So that's very surprising. <laughs> yeah, I I do like a bit of heat, but not not too much. There's a limit. Because I'm a chef by trade, so everyone I meet... Oh, get out! So the first thing I ask people is, like, do you like spicy food? (laughs) And nine times out of ten in this country, nah, korma. (laughs) And I'm like, oh... The English are famed for not liking flavour in anything, so... Like, bland and beige. I did not say that. (laughs) I did not say that. He said that in English. (laughs) What is English cuisine, Chris? Um, Like Rich said, it's beige. (laughs) <laughs> um, full of full of starch it's a plate full of starch basically with a bit of sauce on top and I, i'm not i'm not i'm not digging english cuisine come on but my my family is irish and from yorkshire so both okay. sides are extremely normal <laughs> and, and i just grew up liking um like nice flavorful foods i like japanese spices and mexican cuisine and stuff like that so yeah that's that's me in a nutshell (laughs) fair enough so it's not all it's not all crumpets and spotted dick over here we do have some interesting stuff (laughs) going on can somebody tell me what spotted dick is no no i cannot i cannot i'm afraid because i also don't know (laughs) it's his imagination hello Hey who? What's up? None B. Just watching the game, having a bud. What's up with you? Nothing. Watching the game, having a bud. True. True. What's up? Yo, who's that? Yo! Yo, pick up the phone! Hello? What's that? What's up? Yo, where's Dookie? Yo, Dookie! Yo. What's up? What's that? <laughs> Hold on. Hello? <laughs> so what's up, B? Watching the game, having a bud. True. True. Scott, you uh, you very kindly chose uh, film TV picks for us before we started recording, and for your film, you chose the 1978 Superman film. What was it about the film that made you choose it? I saw it 
when I was very young, and it affected me so profoundly that I still feel that today whenever I watch it. And I've maybe seen it 20 times. I just watched the, um, oh my God, I don't know how many cuts they have of it now. I think I watched the Donner cut last week, and I actually got emotional watching it. Is that the it, new you know? 4K box set that's just been released, is it? Yeah. Well, yeah. is that new? I thought the Donner cut. The Donner cut's a couple years old, though. Mm. Uh, Two thousand and five, I think the Donner cut was. I believe. Yeah, yeah, wow. and they. It sometimes it airs on um cable. You can catch it uh, here, uh, um cable or streaming. You can catch. I think HBO Max has. They'll air it sometimes, and it's. Uh, I rem. I distinctly remember walking home. I caught the bus home, and then walking from the bus to my mom's house, looking up because, you know, I was like, I thought a man could fly, you know, and I was an avid comic book collector as a child. Still kind of am. <laughs> I make that sound like, Pat, well, I'm too cool for that now. <laughs> I was an avid comic book collector. So this was the first live action superhero film that I ever saw. And it was just so amazing. To this day, I see... Richard Donner's Superman as the archetype for a superhero origin mm-hmm. story. It wasn't completely faithful to the comic, but the changes that he made made sense and they added to the drama and the impact of the film. And it was just amazing for me to see, you know, what I've been reading in the comic books live action up on the screen. Maybe it's just my childhood nostalgia or whatever, but I haven't seen anything since then that has come close to making me feel the way that movie felt when I when I saw it as a kid. And even now, when I watch it, I think it still holds up. I mean, there's some cultural stuff in there that, you know, doesn't hold up. But <laughs> just as a movie, <laughs> you know, The Pimp, we could, we could that, that's that, that sulkine sense of humor coming out. <laughs> <laughs> because the later film, Superman 2, they really leaned heavy into the comedy aspect of it, which... Mm. You know, I wasn't a huge fan of um, a lot of slapstick stuff going on while Zod and his cronies were destroying uh, Metropolis. But yeah, I just love that first one. I love the special effects, especially now that they've remastered it and corrected all of the, you know, mistakes. You know, like, because in the old one, there's some shots where Superman's costume is green because of the... I don't know, the blue screen or green screen or whatever. And they've corrected all that. You can't see the the cutouts and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I just I just love that movie. Just love that movie. I love the, the story of know how they, they went searching for an unknown actor to play. Because, you know, you hear all the stories about how they approached Sylvester Stallone and Clint Eastwood and Kirk Douglas and... Well, you're like, what? That'd have been awful to play, <laughs> to play Clark Kent slash Superman. You know, and they went searching for this regular, and then this guy, you know, he started. And just Christopher Reeve. Who's better than Christopher mm-hmm. Reeve? As both Clark Kent and Superman, the comic book character of Superman. He's so true to the core of the character in the books. You know, I haven't seen anybody even come close. I know people love Cavill and I don't hate Henry Cavill, but he, he can't hold a candle to uh, Christopher Reeve as far as I'm concerned. 
So I mean, whatever you think about Superman Returns, that's one thing I liked about Brandon Routh when they brought him in. Mm-hmm. He was similar in the yeah. sense of he was a complete unknown. And they tried to get somebody that resembled Christopher Reeve, I feel. Mm. You know, yeah. that, that young Brandon Routh, he kind of resembled that. Mm. Maybe he could have done a better job. That movie was just so awful. Oh. <laughs> it's so boring. It's and... very slow, but I do love the music. John Ottman's music for Superman Returns, if you listen to it as a piece, is lovely. I'll have to go back and do that because nothing about it is yeah, sticking they made, in my head right they now. They made Lois Lane unlikable, which was an achievement. So, <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 I mean, Margot Kidder was a little annoying. But mm. <laughs> I actually met her at one of the Philadelphia Comic Cons. Oh, awesome! Um, Wizard. I don't know if you guys remember Wizard Magazine. No. It was a, no. it was a comic book magazine over here. They had a whole YouTube channel, Wizard TV, and they asked me to do some interviews at their. They have a Comic Con. They used to have Comic Cons all over the country. Wizard World Comic Cons. And oh yeah, another one. I got to I got to know the owner, and so um, whenever they would come to Philly, I would go. And he asked me one year to do interviews for um, Wizard World TV, and I got to interview Margot Kidder, uh, Billy D. Williams, Lando. Yes. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Sometimes you, you speak to these people that you look up to, I guess, from films that you really adore, and then sometimes they cannot be the people that you were hoping them to be. But I assume that these guys were, were awesome. Billy Dee's an old man, and <laughs> he, he, had a lot of, he had a lot of old man qualities. He was just old and tired. So <laughs> there was none of that charm there that day. Margot was just a little confused. Uh, <laughs> um had to explain to her a couple times who I was and what I was doing, but she was nice. She was nice about it. She was friendly. That's cool. Yeah. Billy Dee's just a tired old man. At least he <laughs> was him. that day. Yeah. Bless <laughs> him. He was that day. Yes. Yes. Bless him. Yeah. I mean, what was the last movie where he just sat down through his entire scene? It was The Rise of Skywalker, wasn't it? Wow. Yeah. 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 I yeah he wasn't great that in that film, but you could... You could tell that he had a real good time, so <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. But yeah, back to uh, Christopher Reeve, and I totally agree with what you say. Like he's the quintessential Superman for me as well. Like no one else has kind of come close to portraying him as well or as fondly for me as Christopher Reeve did, and he kind of just nailed the role perfectly. Nailed and it. Still does now. Like you, you mentioned, Henry, Henry Cavill and all. I'm not, I mean, Rich is a bit of a fan of Man of Steel, but I didn't really enjoy that film either. And I'm quite excited for James Gunn's new Superman Legacy, is it called, or something, uh, film, just to hopefully bring Superman back to the... uh, I hope uh, I have faith in Gunn simply because of his track record. Yeah. So I'm willing to, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I'm, I've got a big connection to the original Superman movies because... They're always on. Every holiday season. Mm. Uh, mm. Every Easter, every Christmas, every summer holidays, <laughs> you turn the TV on one afternoon and Superman's on. I watched for years, recording off the TV, our TV on VHS, the TV edit, which cuts a lot of stuff out. Yeah. Now, yeah. until I bought the DVDs in 2001... 
2002 that had the Superman 1 and 2 box set, a lovely satin black one, that had the full uncut version. And I remember sitting there going like, this is amazing. Why have I not seen it? Because by removing all of those slow bits, you lose the character arc of that whole movie. And then when I watched it in full, was it like 2 hours 15 minutes or 2 hours 20, something like that? I was mm-hmm. like, most of the Kent Farm stuff has been cut out. Most of the childhood... Oh, wow! Yeah. So you only get a few scenes here and there of him and Martha at the Kent home and as he's a kid and when uh, his dad dies and stuff like that. But a lot of the filler stuff was just removed from our our UK UK TV versions, which I was Mm. unaware of until I watched the DVD about 20 years ago. And I remember being so blown away of how the structure of the film was done mm-hmm. and how, like you like you said, it was the first superhero movie to, and Richard Donner is responsible for this, to stand there and go, we're going to take this seriously and we're going to mm-hmm. produce mm-hmm. it and perform it seriously. It's mm-hmm. not going to be a joke. It's just going to be a straight, serious, dramatic adaptation. And without that, we wouldn't have the behemoth of superhero movies we have today. Has anyone read Christopher Reeve's memoirs? No. I Anyone who's a fan of Christopher Reeve or anything in general, he wrote two. Still Me and there was a follow-up, a short memoir. They are beautiful books. And okay. you, I remember reading it and I remember, was it my friend or, my, or one of my relatives, like, is that not depressing? I said, why would it be depressing? And they said, well, he had the bad accident off the horse and stuff like that. And I was like, no, this was written... A few years before he died, and it is the most uplifting, amazing autobiography you could ever read. Even if you can find an audiobook, seriously, it you finish it and you feel a buzz. That okay. even through his darkest days, that guy loved life. And he loved he people. And he was a believer in people. And he loved everyone he was with. It's probably one of my auto-favourite autobiography reads he takes you through all the hard times, the hospital times, the therapy, and never once do you close a chapter and think, well, that's depressing. Never. That guy just had such a humanity to him that even in his darkest days was still there. And great friends with Robin Williams as well, and they had a lovely friendship. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. That's right. They went to Chuliard together. Weren't they, were they roommates at one point? Yeah. Wow. In, yeah. in in Christopher Reeve's autobiography, he actually says that the dean of the college or university at Juilliard was saying, you're going to go wonderful places, Chris. You're going to go to amazing places. He said, who's that gremlin elf guy you hang around with? He's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> he was talking about Robin Williams. <laughs> and look what happened there. You hear that. Yeah. You hear so many celebrities talk about that kind of thing, though, that people that told them at some point in their life that, you know, they didn't have it. They were yeah. never going to make it. Get out of the business. But it's, yeah, I, yeah. I applaud anyone to try and get a hold of that book and listen to it. It's just such a lovely, lovely autobiography. I've always admired that about him, that he did not let his accident stop him from doing anything that he wanted to do. And the wife also, she was just as big. Mm. A humanitarian as he was, she was right there with him through all of it. And it was just so bizarre that she passed away so soon after he did. He he had a great partner in her in doing all of the humanitarian mm-hmm. stuff that he did. You know, I've never heard anybody say 
anything bad about Christopher Reeve. He's just like one of the most beloved people in, in Hollywood. You know, still like to this day, mm-hmm. you you, yeah. you haven't heard any stories come out about him since he's mm-hmm. passed away. You no. know, he, everybody yeah. loved Chris Harry. And if there were any stories, like they would have come out, you know. Cause... Oh, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Especially in this day and age mm-hmm. and this climate yeah, exactly. that we live in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. True. true. I gotta say, true. Superman. I hope I hope I could be forgiven for this, but Superman generally is kind of a blind spot for me, and I don't know that I've ever watched that original film. It sounds like I should, I guess. Yeah, where's the kick button on here? Jason, disconnect him now. (laughs) Hey, man. (laughs) I'm just admitting something. I thought this was a safe space. I'm sorry. No, no, there's nothing safe about this space. (laughs) Steve actually re wants to see the Nicolas Cage film that never came out, Superman Lives. Big fan, Steve, of that film. That never happened. What did you you say? The Superman lives. So have you seen that footage of yeah. uh, the, the costume fitting for Nicolas Cage? Yeah. The long hair. That's uh, horrific. Could you imagine? In the, right, in the shiny in a, suit. Yeah. Ugh. And the suit lit up as well, didn't it? It had inner yeah, lights it and did. stuff like that. Oh, but could you imagine the trajectory of superhero films if that film was ever made? What oh films God. we would no. have these days? I don't think the current superhero mega lift thing would be a thing. I just don't mm. think it would be. Would have killed it yeah, off. because Hollywood does that thing where if a movie fails, they assume that nobody wants to see anything in that genre. Mm. Yes. You know, but you ever see the Saturday Night Live skit where Nicolas Cage was hosting and he kind of made fun of the whole Superman casting thing? Yeah, I think. Oh, don't think oh. so. I have to look it up. You have to. I I wouldn't be able to do it justice to try and tell you. <laughs> but I I just the one part where Lois is catching on to his secret identity. And they have him like opening a drawer and pulling out a gun because he's going to kill. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, that Amazing. was that was pretty was pretty fun. I I like when a celebrity is self-deprecating and they can make yeah. fun of themselves. You know? Definitely, that's pretty awesome. If you go right. on The Simpsons or Saturday Night Live and you make fun of yourself, you're okay in my book. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> Scott. Let's get into your TV pick and um, which TV show did you pick? I picked a whole bunch of stuff. I picked it was like all the Japanese stuff. It was like Space Giants, Ultraman, uh, Johnny Sacco and his flying robot, Speed Racer, Astro Boy, like that stuff. And I, I don't know if you got, did you guys get that stuff? I don't even know how old you guys are. I'm old. I've never uh, watched it, it any of what as... you've mentioned. No, uh, no. I, it was no. never Although, on my radar. Steve is like, what language is he speaking right now? <laughs> <laughs> although not a film, but although not a TV series, it was a film. But I did watch uh, Shin Ultraman. That was pretty awesome. The new one. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. I watched the original tv series that, wow. that came from over here we have these things called uhf channels yeah i'm i'm only oh, i'm only it. aware of those because of a weird weird owl so we know that uhf film yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly that's a great reference that's a good reference point um <laughs> so yeah and uhf channels are usually the local channels mm. so you know you have the big networks but then you'll have a little like philadelphia has several local uh, channels and they've all been co-opted in the last 20 years by these big syndicated networks but back in the day it just used to be some local tv station would own it and run it and so they used to buy these packages of, of tv shows to put on the air 
And there came this time in in America where all these packages of Japanese kids shows flooded the American syndicated market, you know. So you could be this eight-year-old kid in America and come home from school and turn on like these old some of them were in black and white. That's how old they were. <laughs> These old Japanese uh, animated shows and live action shows. Um, what are they called? Kaiju? Kaiju shows? Um, so you had Ultraman, who was this space being who would come down and fight these giant monsters that would attack Tokyo or whatever city it was. It was all on the heels of Godzilla. You know, yeah. Godzilla became popular and then all of these, this whole genre of, of kaiju uh, television shows became popular. Space Giants, I forget the Japanese name of Space Giants, but it was a family of transforming robots, the first transforming robots, uh, Goldar and his wife and their son. And they, and they had this guy, Methuselah, who kind of... I don't know what Methuselah's role was to control them or guide them or something like that. And same thing. They would fight this, this space villain named Rodak who would send giant monsters down to earth to destroy cities on earth. And the space giants would come and blow them up with rockets and things like that. So it was just a lot of giant robot, giant superheroes fighting giant monsters in these miniature sets of Tokyo and various things like that that was water cooler television when i was a kid like if <laughs> you missed the episode of ultraman that played that day and you got to school the next day and you didn't see it you were odd man out <laughs> like everybody would be talking about that episode and you're like what wait what so yeah you had to see that stuff then there were the animated things from like toei like uh, Speed Racer, which they made a live action film based on a few years ago, and which is pretty faithful to the cartoon, <laughs> actually, in a weird way. Tobar the Eighth Man, who was this robot, things like that. So I know I'm doing a really poor job of describing them. No, but at all. It was just this whole, whole glut of Japanese animated and live action shows that were on syndicated when I was a kid. Uh, so I'm looking Oof. at pictures of Space Giants and it looks rad as hell. And yeah. I, I think the Japanese title is Ambassador Magma. That's it. Wow. Which is a pretty good wow. title. <laughs> yes. <laughs> pretty good. Yes. Because he would come out of a volcano. Ah. That was his, whenever he was needed, you know, there was a special signal that they would send out. And as a rocket, he would come shooting out of a volcano awesome. and come to wherever the the big monster was television was nowhere yeah. near this interesting when i was a kid over here <laughs> yeah i think really the nearest thing we had growing up was when all the like super sentai shows came out like yeah. when they basically i knew this. Okay. power rangers masked rider which was i okay. forget the japanese title oh, you had masked rider Sorry? common rider that's it common rider that, in japan yeah rider, yeah common rider oh you had that we never had that yeah but we obviously had it all like it was the the american packaged version sold to the west oh. with all the american actors and all the little inserts uh, you, had, you had the oh. japanese footage but they basically oh. build an, an american show around it so that's the oh. nearest we got okay. we had that and um like vr troopers i don't know what that was in japan but 
That was the nearest thing we got. I don't think we got exposed to all these really awesome sounding shows that you had growing up. So. No. <laughs> yeah, such is British television. So. Yeah. yeah. Rosie and Jim is just not really the yeah. same, is it? No. Our country's stuck what? in the 1940s and it takes us years to get a hold of anything. And when we do, when I, it's out of date. When I, was, when, I, when I was a kid, I watched a show called Rosie and Jim, which is about two puppets that live on a canal barge and one of them's French. So... <laughs> yeah... Wasn't that sounds the, exciting. Wasn't the French one no. Toss TV? Oh, was that Toss no. TV? Am I getting two things mixed up? No? Was one okay. of Rosie and Jim French? I, I uh, don't remember that. Who knows? The important thing is neither one of them turns into a massive robot and destroys No, exactly. exactly. And destroys a city. No. Exactly. <laughs> neither one of them flies out of a volcano. Correct. No. <laughs> it would have been a much better show. So. Just had well, a wooden they... duck that would go, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and occasionally turn it, turn its head. <laughs> I mean, that's something. Uh, was um, what's his name British? Um, the puppets, the marionettes, Marion. Um, oh, Thunderbirds. And... Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds. Oh, yeah. amazing! Amazing. Captain Scarlet. And was, was he British? Yeah. Him and his wife. Mm-hmm. They were British, but they gave all of their characters American uh, identities yeah. for some reason. Well, well I mean, international it, sales. growing up in this country, hearing American accents on TV made the TV show yeah, cool. Yeah, it did. That's why they yeah. did it that. Did. Yeah, yeah. It did. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It was Captain Scarlet, Thunderbirds. Stingray. That weird, that weird Terror Hawks thing that he did. That was just that's some odd shit. That, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's some trippy shit. Well, that's all the time we have this week. A massive thank you, as always, for everyone joining us. If you would like to donate to the show, then please visit our coffee page where you can show your support, starting from just a single pound. You can find a link in the show description or on our website. If And if that's not right for you right now, then you can always support us by giving us a review or rating on your platform of choice or share our social posts. And if you're listening on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button and the bell so you never miss an episode. Uh, check out our website where we have articles, game reviews, our entire back catalogue of episodes and much more at thewolfypod.com. Thanks guys for your you know, encouragement. I appreciate You're that. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> that was but, all Scott and I asked. Chat, <laughs> but chat, it's time to say goodbye. Goodbye. Farewell. Weather. <laughs> 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 What's it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. oh, this is so surreal. Nick. <laughs> 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 I mean, if anyone's listening that don't actually know what, what, what the joke is on that, then, you know... So we have to release the video version now, otherwise it's just fucked. (laughs) We're not showing people my fucking bedroom. We're not releasing the video. (laughs) I haven't made the bed, Jason. (laughs) You can't put this out. (laughs) Such a Steve move, you know, making his bed. Um, but yeah, no, Steve, very funnily, just tagged him his video with S-T-E-E-E-V. So, uh, yeah. 
Yes. And now Scott has been pronouncing it correctly. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Episode. So. Yeah. Credit to him. Uh, None of you fuckers ever pronounced it correctly. It's bringing me a lot of joy, I can't tell you. <laughs> oh, well, on that note, my name has been Jason, and you've been listening to What's Wrong with Wolfie, a retro podcast to the max. We'll catch you next time. Goodbye. Barking.